Hi, my name's Archie, and this is I Was There, a sports podcast dedicated to telling the stories from you, the fan. This series is all about unearthing the incredible tales of the people sitting next to you in the stadium on the day that you witness history and what led to them being there. You're about to meet Matt Grandin, a dedicated Australian football fan who made the big journey over to Russia for the 2018 FIFA World Cup. I was really excited to do this podcast with Matt as I was also lucky enough to be there in Russia for what truly was a magnificent World Cup and general travel experience overall. Matt was there with his wife and the game we're going to talk about was the Socceroos' second pool game against a formidable Denmark side looking to advance in the competition. While there were some special moments in the stands for Matt during that game, what happened after it will leave you on the edge of your seat. I know if I was in his shoes, I would have been pretty nervous and unsure as to how it was all going to pan out. It's amazing to think that Matt and I didn't know each other before this podcast, but there's a good chance we could have been sitting in the same section of that stadium that afternoon in Samara. Let's get into it. G'day, I'm Matt Grandin, and when Australia played Denmark in the FIFA World Cup, I was there. Ericsson! Matt Grandin, welcome to I Was There. Thank you very much. So, Matt, today we're going to be talking about you being at Australia versus Denmark. Of course, the game was played on the 21st of June this year at the Russia World Cup, and it's kind of really exciting for me to chat to you today because I was in Russia as well. So we've got – I mean – I'm looking at you right now and I'm thinking, I don't remember you, but there's a there's a great chance we might have cuddled each other in the streets later that night. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we bumped into Aussies everywhere, you know, not just in the in the cities that Australia are playing in, but everywhere. So there's a good chance yeah. could have hugged you almost anywhere in Russia, probably. <laughs> so tell me about your journey to Russia. You know, this is, we've been chatting about it, you know, a bit of a dream come true for you. So when did you decide that you were going to go and get match tickets and all that? Yeah, um, it was always in the back of my mind. Uh, I moved to the UK uh, sort of start of 2016 with my wife and um, it was always sort of in our heads that we'd be there for two years. So we knew we were going to be in Europe around World Cup time and um, originally I thought, oh, we could go to the Confederations Cup in um, 2015. 2017, sorry. Um, but then that sort of didn't work out. And then sort of as, as Australia got closer qualification, you know, I started to think more about it and looking into flights and accommodation and all that. And um, we pretty much had decided probably around just before the Honduras um, playoff began, mm-hmm. we decided if Australia qualified, we're definitely going to try and get tickets. So that's uh, that was sort of the decision made then. And then... I remember I was uh, I was teaching at a school in uh, in um, near Leeds and uh, I had quickly uh, ducked out of the classroom. There was another teacher in there. I ducked out and got my phone out to check the updates of the um, second leg of the Honduras game. All right, uh, yeah, and yeah. Oh, so you couldn't even watch the game. Couldn't live. watch the game live. No, oh. no, I was I was working and uh, I came back into the classroom. I think uh, when I checked the score, it was 90th minute. They were up three nil, and uh, all the kids are like, "Oh, why do you look so happy?" And I was like. Oh. We're going to Russia, guys. (laughs) (laughs) How old were the kids you were teaching? Uh, They were high school. They would have been, I think, oh, year sevens or eights, I think. So old enough to know... Old enough to know about football and uh, yep. and old enough to know that well they're all English so qualifying for the World Cup is is perfectly normal for them but I think they got how important it was to me. So. Getting into Russia, what was that experience like? Yeah, that was so we uh, we got uh, we flew from from Leeds uh, to uh, Poland. We got super cheap flights with Ryanair. Like, <laughs> 
there was something like 10 pounds or something ridiculous like that. Oh, my God. And then we just bust, uh, we bust through the, the Baltic. So we did um, Lithuania, Latvia and Estonia. And then we got a bus from, uh, from uh, Estonia into Russia. And at the border, they had a special booth set up for the fan IDs. And there was just a girl who she didn't look older than about 14 that was checking the fan IDs. And she checked my ID and she sort of looked sort of looked at me and looked at the ID and she was like oh what's wrong with your eyes in the picture and I was like nothing as far as I know but there was like a shadow across my eyes in the fan ID picture and right. she was sort of like I think that's going to be a problem uh, she said but get in line for the actual passport check and see what happens and so I, in that line I was sweating oh. so, so she she's yeah. just like an usher kind yeah, of yeah kind yep. of she was just checking the fan ID she said, like any if you didn't have a fan ID you didn't go to her you just went into the line for passport control but yeah I, <laughs> oh my god how long are you in this line for oh, oh for about 15 minutes and I'm thinking if they don't let me in what what am I going to do? Like we've got all this accommodation and travel booked and things and, and um, got to my turn and she, she barely looked at it. She took like one look and said, yep, stamp my passport. And So that, that woman yeah. basically put you through like the most stressful 15 yeah. minutes of your life. Yeah. Because there were a couple of horror stories. I remember just before the World Cup of Australians having their fan IDs revoked and things yeah. like that. So I think everyone was a bit – I remember when I landed, I was on my own. All my mates were already there and I remember – because you, you just feel like everything is riding on this card right now and I can only mm. imagine how freaked out you would have been. It would have been horrible. Well, uh, my wife and I had this plan to do this, like, travel vlog and where we were going to, like, sort of talk about our travels and talk a bit about um, the World Cup and Australia's chances and all that. And when I saw the news about certain just Aussies getting their uh, getting their fan IDs revoked, I thought we sort of got cold feet and decided not to do it because we just didn't want to do anything that might yep. annoy the Russian government. Yep. You know? like, I, like, I remember I when I got my fan ID, I took a photo and I put it on Instagram and said, you know, 74 days or whatever. And then I started having those second thoughts, like what if somebody, you know, takes my the, the barcode off the bottom yeah. or any – yeah, you're absolutely right. I totally yeah. get that. So, look, I mean, it was really special. We could probably talk for days about just yeah. how magical Russia was. Yeah. But first game, you're at the first game. France, obviously, was a disappointing result, but it was an encouraging performance because – you know, and France ended up winning the competition, but a lot of people thought we wouldn't turn up. But after that game, you've now landed in Samara, um, full of optimism after the first game? Yeah, I, th- I mean, I thought France was our best performance, actually. I thought we pushed them all the way, and I think we played our best football against France. So, yeah, I, w- I was pretty optimistic. I mean, D- Denmark, even though they, they beat uh, Peru, they didn't they didn't look great against Peru, I thought. So I was, yeah, I was... Sort of thinking, you know, Ericsson's really their only threat. You mm-hmm. know, there wasn't really anyone else in that squad that I thought could would, would that would be too much trouble for the Socceroos. Um, so yeah, I was I was pretty optimistic. Uh, we took a um, overnight train into Samara, so we arrived in Samara on the day uh, of the match. Of the match, yep. and uh, yeah, I was feeling good. I was I was not. <laughs> I was still worried about where the goals were going to come from because yeah. just I couldn't. I'd never agreed with playing Naboo up front. You know, Naboo is a winger. I, I I didn't agree with playing him as a striker. I thought really the only guy there was in the squad that could play there was McLaren or I suppose Tim Cahill, but he was never going to play Tim Cahill. Yeah. Do you remember the walk into the stadium that day? Uh, yeah, I do. I remember how long it took to get out to uh, the stadium at Samaya. Like we took the the tram 
oh, out yeah. there and it took forever, didn't yeah. it? Just, yeah, I do remember now, yep. Yeah, because... Uh, um, we were worried we were on the wrong tram. We kept trying to ask people, you know, is this definitely going to the stadium? Yeah, exactly. We, we were thinking the same because Kazan, the stadium was so close to the city centre, it was an easy walk. But Samara, yeah, just took forever and we... Uh, went a bit earlier than what we did in Kazan to out to the stadium because we thought, no, we'll, we'll get there early and try and really soak it up because for Kazan we only got in, I think, just before the national anthem. So we are like, let's not make that mistake yeah. again. Well, here we go. Take you back a little bit to the day. This is the commentary from match day. Perfect conditions here in Samara and in the town where they make space rocket engines. Denmark looking for liftoff from Group C and Australia in danger of being left on the launch pad. The nerves are kicking in. You've seen the national anthem and, well, things didn't go too well for the Socceroos because, as you just said before, the danger man for Denmark was always going to be Ericsson. The only other danger man, really, that we were worried about is a guy in goals with Schmeichel and mm. it only took seven minutes, just seven minutes, for them to breach us this moment. Here's Jurgensen to Ericsson! And Denmark take the lead! And it's the star who delivers yet again. I mean, it was a really well-taken goal, wasn't it? That was a terrific goal. Yeah, that, that's the class that he has, though, Ericsson. And I remember as soon as he hit it, I knew it went, it was going in. But I remember thinking to myself, we don't have any players that can do that. You know? <laughs> like, that that was the one thing going through my head. I thought, oh, no, none of the boys we've got in that team can, can do what Ericsson did there. What part of the ground were you sitting in? Uh, we were up... Um, so uh, we were on. We were at the end where the goal, where Ericsson scored, up uh, the top, sort of um, to the left-hand side of the goals. That that top area where most of the Aussies were. Okay, man, we've um, been sitting really close to each probably. other. That's where we we were just pretty much in line with that goal. Yep. If when he scored it, if you look to the right. Yep. Yep. We, yeah, we right were up there. We were up there, um, but of that tier, we were in the front row of that. Oh, right. I was wearing budgie smugglers. Does that ring a bell? Did you see two blokes just wearing that? I saw way too many budgie smugglers that day. Do you know, actually, that day in the stands, we we wore our budgie smugglers, myself, Zach, and another friend who actually wasn't sitting with us, and about maybe we got onto the big screen pre-match, and maybe about five minutes before kickoff, a bloke comes up to us with a badge, and it was a member of the AFP being chaperoned by a Russian I don't know. Like that wasn't a Russian policeman, but it was certainly a Russian security guard. Mm-hmm. And this guy threatened us. He said, "You guys put your clothes back on, or we're going to tear up your fan IDs, and you won't. You'll be kicked out of the country." Uh, that happened to us before that game even kicked off. Wow. So you yeah. had you had clothes to put on. I tell you, we did. Yeah, <laughs> we had. They were backups, and we th- we really thought. Ah, oh, we we went through this whole process of thinking about jurisdiction. We're like, they don't have the rights, and then we we're like, you know what? It's so not worth getting yeah. kicked out for. Let's just yeah. put our kit on and get on with it. Look, uh, the game progressed, and then there was this controversial moment. Thirty six minutes in, a corner. Uh, you know, we had four corners at this point. Here it is. Corners for Australia, and no goals. That's what they need. Lecky with another header blocked on the way through. Another. Claiming there there might have been a hand involved. There is a check and there's a possible handball. Well, it's very, very close, isn't it? What's he going to give? Penalty is what he's going to give. Were you surprised after we'd been on the wrong end of VAR in the France game? Uh, no, no, I wasn't surprised because it seemed like the VAR w- was sort of being used in that way in, in a few games um, up to that point in the tournament. So I wasn't surprised by it. Did I think it was a penalty, though? No. <laughs> and and I don't think that... This is getting into a whole other issue. I don't think the VAR should be used 
in uh, in that way for those sorts of things. You know, remember the Thierry Henry handball against Ireland? Oh, yeah. VAR for that is fine. Something blatant like that, sure. But when it's that close, I don't think we should be using it for things like that. But I wasn't complaining at the time. I was, <laughs> I was delighted. That's right. And then Mila Yedinak, our inspirational skipper, steps up. Can they draw level? Yedinak looked absolutely certain before he took it. Never in doubt with Millet. No, well, did, did you hear um, supposedly what Kasper Schmeichel said to him when he was about to take the penalty? Um, I've read it in the past, but I can't remember he's, right now. He said something like, um, I, I know where you're going to place this penalty. He said, I, I know exactly where you're going to put this penalty. Like, and, <laughs> My guns. And, and Millet was just like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> what Explain you in the stands at that moment. You know, you're standing next to your wife. Did you know anyone else in the stand that day? Uh, the only other people we knew were the people next to us because they were next to us at the game in Kazan. Oh, great! So, uh, and we met them there. Um, so, yeah, that was. Oh, there were some. There were some mates of mine as well that um, I caught up with after the the games, Mara, that that were there as well. But I hadn't. Um, I didn't know where they were sitting. I hadn't seen them up to that point. But the uh, um, <laughs> the first thing that we did, well, the first thing my wife did when the goal was scored is she uh, made sure something was covering her bag because in Kazan the beer went flying and it. And her bag got absolutely drenched in beer. <laughs> so this time she was prepared. She had it all. Describe that yeah. moment, though, of um, it's, you know, we've been really lucky that we've been there. But try and describe to me what it's like to watch your nation score a goal at the World Cup when it's not like a throwaway goal, when you're actually back yeah. in the game. I mean, it it's almost indescribable. I mean, it just... It was such an amazing atmosphere just to see, you know, everyone go nuts. You know, I, mean, I, th- I think there w- it was partly the relief that we've actually scored a goal, you know, um, but it just so much passion I saw, you know, and, and I think compared to what I saw from the French fans and from the Danish fans, I thought the, the Aussies, um, I won't talk about the Peru fans because they're on a whole other level. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, the, uh, but, the, but the Aussies <laughs> at the the Denmark game and the France game, I thought they were far more passionate, far louder, just far, just showed so much more than, than the opposition fans. Mm. It was, I, I, it'll, it'll stay with me to the day I die. It's one of the greatest feelings I've ever felt. Yeah, oh, I'm just got goosebumps yeah, hearing that stuff. Yeah, me it too. Is, it's one of those, you know, it, it is hard to describe because, you know, you work, you watch, you dedicate so much time into watching your national team, and it's, you know, it is only until the next couple of World Cups. But 32 nations, it's quite an exclusive club. Yeah. Um, and you know, you just want to see your team do well. And after such a great performance against France, this was, I thought this would be a turning point. We knew we could, if we could try, we probably thought that a draw against Denmark was a realistic goal, but finished one all. That's it. It's a draw. Enjoyable game. Denmark 1, Australia 1. And this is the really fun part because this is where your kind of story from this game becomes so memorable. So you leave the ground that day. Did you did you stay quite a while after the game, after it finished, or did you get out of the stadium pretty quickly? Um, yeah, we, we, we stayed around for a bit. I was delighted um, purely because we still had something to play for in the Peru game. And yep. that was the one thing I said, like, as long as we don't have a dead rubber, as long as each game sort of still means something. Oh, yeah. So I was so happy, at least, that going into into the Peru game, we had something to play for. So coming out of Samara, I was like, I was really happy. I was, I was, I was feeling, feeling the buzz, you know, and... A lot of the fans were, I don't know if you saw the guys that were standing up on those, um, 
uh, they're like um, like tennis umpire um, chairs, you know, oh, the, with were, the with the hands for the high fives when yeah, you were walking out. Yep, and some some Aussies commandeered one and started climbing all over <laughs> it and were like singing and chanting, and uh, that was that was really really cool. And I met up with uh, with some really old uh, school friends of mine that I hadn't seen in probably about fifteen years or so. Wow! And um, yeah, we. Well, you just bumped into them, or you organised? No, we organised. I've been talking to them on Messenger, and um, they they uh, were doing. I think they were doing the Green and Gold Army tour or something like that. So, but they had free time after the game, and so we arranged we'd meet up after the game. And we, we, we went out for uh, for dinner somewhere and uh, no we went to the fan site the um, fan site in Samara and watched yep. the I think it was Senegal against somebody um, but that was that was really good and then we went and had some dinner and I know, I know what you're getting at then after uh, after that we uh, we got an Uber home. Uh, and we were at different hotels but we thought we'd just share an Uber uh, and it's the strangest. <laughs> uber ride i've ever had in my life it was just and, and it shows to me the uh incredible uh sense of humor that uh, that russians have i think because our uber driver started you know seemed like a nice bloke it was in one thing about uber i don't know if you took uber when you're in russia oh yeah we had the yandex app we had the get we had uber they, they came quick enough there's no there's no rules on the quality of the vehicle for uber you yeah know? like so we were you know like the old um Larder Russian uh, Russian cars, like you know, Russian manufacturing at its finest. You know, like <laughs> driving us uh, to to our hotel. So we were going to the to the boys' uh, hotel first, and before we get there, the driver pulls into this this car park, just to sort of random. So broken, like broken English. Like, this guy barely speaks a word, or his, his English was. Uh, it, no, he knew the basics. But uh, and, and he probably knew enough English to tell us what he was doing, but he didn't say a word. So he 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 pulled into this car park and he got out of the car and he walked into this building, and we're all sort of going, what you know, what's going on? Turned out the building was a bottle shop. So he hasn't said a word. You've just picked him up, put in your yep. destination. All four of you still in the car at this yep, point. Yeah, we're all still in the car, you know. And he he. he I mean, he might have said something like "stay here" or something like that. I don't, I don't remember. But he certainly didn't say what he was doing. But, right. he, but he goes into this building. It turns out there's a bottle shop, and then he comes out carrying these beers. He had, he had a beer each for all of us and for himself. Right. And he got in the car and he just handed the beers to us. Turns on the engine and and, and keeps driving, holding these beers, thinking, "Okay, what." What's going on? Is he talking to you at all at this point? Not like we, he hasn't said beforehand. Or... We, we might have had like you know, hi, how are you going? Have you been busy? Things like that. You know, <laughs> how long have you been driving for? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Can, can I see your credentials, yeah. please? Um, but uh, but nothing. Like yeah, but at this point, like he he didn't say much, and we're we're all just totally confused as what's going on so none of us are thinking to say anything really mm. but he gets to the to the lads hotel and he sort of motions for us all to get out of the car and and, and you know okay all right so we get out of the car and then he goes around and opens up all our beers and opens up his own beer and sort of salutes us uh, i can't remember what the word is in russian for uh, for cheers but says that and starts drinking and we're just stunned we're just holding holding our beers like with mouths open and and he's like go on drink drink so you know we we sort of start drinking 
and he's downing this beer and and like I said he's he's, well, he's only at the the hotel for the for the my first mates stop. first yeah, yeah. he's still got to drive my wife and I to our hotel is it far away from where you are right now like oh 10, I think I think it was about yeah 15, 15 minutes away or something you know and 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 we're like Jess and I are looking at each other going oh my goodness what well, you know there's this guy. <laughs> is this guy going to be well and truly uh, smashed driving us back to our? Are you guys, you know, you partaking in the drinking? You are having a couple? Oh, we we love it. we love a good drink. I think we'd had a couple of had one or two drinks that night. Um, I think, um, I but, so, yeah. but we yeah we we, we enjoy a drink. Um, but uh, yeah, just you know, uh, but we're, and we're literally all just like you know at a, at a certain point we're thinking okay this is we're actually starting to feel a bit unsafe here. So it was, and, and, and he could sense it. He could see on all our faces that we're all kind of going, you know, what are you doing, mate? Why, why are you drinking beer when you're supposed to be driving us? <laughs> and he, and he kind of just held his beer he, and he had his grin on his face, you know, and we're all just kind of like thinking, well, are we going to be murdered here? What's yeah, going on? Yeah. And he held up his beer and he pointed to some, some words on the bottle. And um, I can't remember what the words were, but basically it turned out the beers were non-alcoholic beers. So, so he's, <laughs> he's just completely stitched you up. He, I mean, it's one of the best practical jokes I've ever, I've ever, had happened to me and ever heard of because because we just could not stop laughing the four of us were in heaps of laughter because what a stitch up you know (laughs) thinking that this guy's like an alcoholic or something (laughs) and i'm sure he's done it before like i'm sure that's the sort of he's, he's done that joke before but it was just yeah bizarre hilarious just Oh, that's brilliant. So strange, yeah. yeah. And I'm sure for that, for you, it's like such a beautifully fond memory of your time in Russia. Yeah, it was. And and I, I when people, I mean, you must get it as well, people always sort of say, oh, you know, how was Russia? How'd you find it? You know, and there's that that subtext of, is it as terrible as it's made out to be? And, and it was like, you know what? Great people. Yeah. Great people, you know. Like, okay, the authorities at times could be maybe a bit, you know, not overzealous, but you know, pedantic. I think sometimes, but the people themselves, I found lovely, uh, and and uh, it's a place I'd love to visit again at some point. Yeah, I think when people, there was a remarkable feeling amongst a lot of people that it was a really special World Cup, and you know. I think everyone had those kind of preconcepted ideas of what Russia would be like, and I think I think that almost made it better in the long run because you. I was. Exp- I mean, my dad was with me, and I was really expecting that I wouldn't want to put him in a cab on his own when you know all me and my mates wanted to go out yep. and needed to put him home. But you know, by the end of it, he'd be joking around about the conversations he was having with his Uber drivers. Yeah, and it was just something I was so worried about to get there, and I had all these ideas, but man, they pulled off a wonderful World oh, Cup. So many ever. special yeah. stories and. Yeah, mate, that was a great story, Matt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was. Uh, uh, it was kind of like uh, the 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 icing on the cake of uh, of of what was a, a great trip. But to have a great story like that to tell is uh, makes it even better. I think you know. On the next episode of I Was There, you'll meet Joel Hansen, a bloke with one of the most unbelievable fan stories you are likely to hear when he visited Fulham's Craven Cottage in 2012. After organising tickets from the club's trainer, Joel would have no idea that he was about to enjoy an afternoon of football that saw him sit in the most exclusive part of the ground with an even more incredible experience after the game that you simply won't believe. We couldn't believe it. We were like... 25 minutes ago, we were standing out the front, <laughs> not, you know, we weren't going to get in for yeah. all money, 
and we're in the corporate box now. The heritage listed corporate box. And your mate's thinking, well, oh, this is what the football's about. It's all right. Yeah, he's going, geez, this is all right. I'm telling him this this doesn't happen every yeah. day. <laughs> this is a one-off, dude. Trust me. And all of a sudden, we're just hanging out with the players and their wives and kids. And we're just these two Aussie guys that have no place there whatsoever. That's on the next episode of I Was There. Have you or a friend got an amazing story that you'd like to share on this podcast? No matter what sport or code it is, I'd love to hear from you. Send an email to iwastherepodcast at gmail.com and I'll get in touch with you as soon as I can. Thanks for listening and if you like what you hear and want to keep up to date with the latest episodes, please hit subscribe on the podcast app. If you leave a review as well, well, that'd be bloody awesome too. See you next time.